Welcome to the Technicast. Most of us do it. We open our preferred app to get the fastest route to our destination. We might even follow the instructions with our eyes glued to the screen. We ask Siri or Alexa or other AI voices for information on the way. We tap in and out with our cards and our GPS tracks our every step. And we've probably come past hundreds of CCTV cameras on our way across privately owned public land. Welcome to Big Data. This month, we're exploring the theme of technology. And today, we have Kim Clark here, a writer and researcher at Royal Holloway, and we're going to talk about the smart city. And Kim kindly agreed to read us an extract from her novella. Hi, Kim. Hi, thanks for having me on. For those of our listeners who perhaps don't know, what's the smart city? Yeah, a smart city is an urban environment that uses technology to collect data. And then that data is used to manage, monitor and improve its systems and the infrastructures. So what, um, what sort of things are we talking about specifically and, and what's the idea behind it? Well, the kind of ideology of the smart city is that it's there to improve all of our lives by collating this information and then improving these services within the city whether that's down to like environmental factors waste management whether it's down to just the organization like parking or congestion on the surface that sounds pretty good to me improving services and making our lives easier but it's not all positive is it well that's the thing um data-driven technologies are often presented to us as inherently positive and progressive but they also radically transform the city and they can have significant cultural and political effects and this kind of inherently positive or progressive idea of the smart city i want to investigate and i would say that through predictive technologies and automation we might want to ask what we're relinquishing in order to exist in this improved environment. Well, that all reminds me of surveillance capitalism, which is a term that emerged a few years ago. That notion that corporations and governments might use data to um, nudge or control us. Is that something you explore in your work? Yeah, I guess I, I do explore surveillance capitalism And I kind of focus on the ownership and economics of whose interests this data serves. Now, you're a creative writer and you're engaging with it through the genre of science fiction. And you're writing a novella called The Walkers. Can you tell us what it's about? So The Walkers is set in Hong Kong in 2037 and it follows Hazel Lau and her experience of living in this alternate space where teleportation is the only method of transportation and unknown to citizens in the process of downloading and uploading their identities. Any radical and revolutionary tendencies are removed from users so that they can improve their city and their environment. Well that sounds very intriguing already and this contrast between teleportation and walking foreshadows a lot. So who are the walkers of the title? Yeah, they're this global resistance group and they're actually a kind of eclectic, disparate movement because some of them are like hacktivists, some of them are nostalgic and they, you know, the walkers is that they don't use teleportation. That's how the movement started, a total rejection of technology. 
And I found that in the real world, you do see that people that completely, oh, I don't use a mobile phone or I'm just going to go off grid. And so the walkers is this nostalgic rejection of technology. But there's also splinter cells from that that actually want to harness technology and engage in it and make it um, useful and not just not participate. Ooh, like these splinter cells and everything promise a lot of tension. And we imagine that Hazel will get entangled in all of that. Would you perhaps now read us a bit? Hazel calls for the elevator. There's a sign taped up next to the call button that reads, This button is sterilised every four hours. The tape, losing its battle with humidity, is starting to peel away from the plastic-covered panel. Shirt sticking to her back, Hazel is looking forward to an icy blast of recycled air from the lobby. The cavernous white space is cool and empty, a relief. A quick glance at the biometric as she scans out of the building. CIO8's teleporters are a nine-minute walk according to OMAPS, but it can be done in seven. The teaport still reads City One over the entrance and faded octopus-shaped maps, relics of the former MTR system, decay on walls around its concourse. The mini-mall, a space now owned by some unknown blend of Omnitech and Beijing, is unchanged since the metro closed. So a Yamazaki Hong Kong hot dog and a Nestle coffee from a can are still staples of Hazel's morning commute. ID M4178918, location C810 Yamazaki, Omnipay transaction, 45 Hong Kong dollars, item 11445, item 4567. Triggered by the warmth of her index finger, Ogo instantly appears at the forefront of her screen to display 25 rows of small rectangles. The T-Port's 250 units are usually all clear at peak travel, but units 67 to 160 are blocked out this morning. Hazel drags up the home screen to check her default destination is still set to work. There's a list of alerts, but she'll check them later. Unit 192 is clear, 27 seconds away, and currently unoccupied. Hazel steps in. A female voice, programmed with a trace of warmth, reverberates around the unit. Hazel, welcome to CIO8. Your default destination is work. Is this your planned destination? Yes, replies Hazel. Please confirm your ID, M4178918. Download request pending. Confirmed. Thank you for using Omnitravel. Have a great day. And then Hazel vanishes. ID, M4178918, upload pending, R, S. Complete. Confirmed. The Student Wellbeing Centre is at the top of one of two mountains that the university sprawls across. The walk up the steep slope is part of a larger route that appears on a few hiking apps. During cooler months, tourists can be spotted with sticks and cameras, 
grinning group stood in front of the old, ornate pagoda at the centre of the lake, adjacent to the state-of-the-art, multi-purpose sports facility centre, sponsored by HSNC. In warmer months, veteran employees can be heard lamenting the loss of the shuttle buses to the top, which existed before the teaports. The old shuttle buses are a dependable slice of small talk, along with the inconvenient location of the port. At the bottom of the mountain, bad planning. The reliability of this summer small talk, the certainty of an annual expression of minor dissatisfaction, appears to Hazel to exist entirely on the need to say something with a mouth. She often finds herself with this deja vu feeling, which leaves her wondering, what is it that prevents most people from pursuing their frustrations? Hazel enters the office and finds it empty, except for Ling. Did you see the island shut down? Ling asks. I'm CO9, so could still get in. You're CO8, right? It's annoying for everyone though, isn't it? And happening more often. Why do they do it? I saw about 20 of them the other day, all holding signs. Liberate the teaports! Idiots. All they're doing is making normal people's lives more difficult. They need locking up. Mmm, replies Hazel as she logs on. ID M5578914L, log 1042, password, access, granted. She types on a few keys until autofill completes her search. Clicking on the first option available takes her to an article at the South China Morning Post. Hong Kong cyber attack latest. Organised hacktivist group pose increasing threat. Hong Kong's central teaport has been on full shutdown since 5am Hong Kong time this morning. Self-described cyber-terrorist organisation GONSEC are claiming responsibility for the current gridlock at LC8. The group, thought to be a more formal splinter cell of the amorphous and often incoherent global activism movement known as the Walkers, claim the attack is a protest against the chief executive's financial links to Omnitech after another anonymous online document leak this month. In a video circulating on Twitter, the origin of which is unknown, a visibly edited deepfake of the chief executive herself reads the words, We believe government should be representatives of the people, not in league with our tech overlords in front of the now increasingly infamous and familiar GONSEC logo. Some continue to suspect that those behind GONSEC might be little more than a few individuals claiming responsibility for a range of subversive digital acts, and others doubt the connection between the viral protest videos and the intricate cyber attacks themselves. The techniques used to deploy the cyber attacks are not yet known, those specialists have confirmed the strategies are far more complex than any previous DDoS attacks or electric sit-ins. The Security Bureau's Travel Alert System has announced that Hong Kong's threat level has been upgraded to red. Citizens are advised to remain available via GPS at all times with at least one smart device powered on to avoid unnecessary complications and help make any disruptive behaviour visible.
Thanks for that, Kim. That was great. I get a great sense of technology's omnipresence and of brands and this surveillance capitalism that we discussed earlier. I really like how you make the processes visible that happen in the background. For example, when Hazel touches her index finger on the ID pad and all these numbers appear, you know, all that data that we transmit without even realizing it. But I'm curious now, how do you feel about technology? Does writing about this make you question your own use? It definitely does. When I first came up with the idea, I was traveling back from Hong Kong with my one-year-old little girl. And I was visiting family and I was exhausted and I wished teleportation existed, as we've all been there. <laughs> and I then suddenly thought, oh, well, I don't know if I trust the process or the technology or the system in removing me from one place and uploading me in another. Like, how do I know that it would be me? And then I thought about it more and I was like, there's processes where part of me is kind of taken from me and then we calibrated back to me via technology and I use all of that technology every single day. So what's the difference with my whole body, you know, being moved around than these tiny little pieces of me? And so that's why I wanted to explore it in this world. So listening to your extract, I was reminded of things like V for Vendetta and The Circle, but I'm wondering, what are your inspirations and why did you choose science fiction as a genre? My favourite science fiction ever is The Machine Stops by E.M. Forster. And I think in this kind of age of teleportation, like with you and me right now, we've almost been teleported into each other's rooms. And the way we're speaking right now is is exactly how it is in The Machine Stops, where you become super reliant on this machine and it's hard to break away from that. So I, I think this kind of video messaging and, and this new teleportation, I know that my nan and my granddad, we got a um, portal and they were like, it's like space 1999. They feel like they're living in the future and they feel like they're teleported uh, around. And so I even think these kind of pop references, the, the Star Trek teleporter, you know, being beamed, teleportation sort of exists now. And I think we see that in, in pop culture quite a lot. Yeah, that's, that's one of the things I love about science fiction too, that you can create a world that's really telling us something about our own world. And um, I got such a great sense of the world in your extract, in your story. Is that what, what comes first to you when you're writing? I'm definitely more at home with world building. I find that part of the process really fun and thinking of actual locations and what it feels like. And I think where I'm going to be at now is coming up with a, a good story that you really want to, you know, have events that are fun <laughs> and not get too wrapped up in the kind of theory side of it it's great to have that underneath it but I want my mum to pick it up and enjoy it from start to finish and that's what I really like about science fiction and I hope that I think world building can can do that like once you're in it you're kind of absorbed and you're part of that world and you can move through it as a reader that's the most fun part for me and also I think quite an important part yeah I, I definitely agree it's so great to be able to dive into a new world and 
with that sense of urgency you created in your extract, I for one, and, and I'm sure your mum too, can't wait to read the final piece. That's great stuff, Kim, and thanks so much for sharing it with us today. Thanks for having me. Thank you. That's all for this episode of the Technicast. Next time, we'll look at human-robot interactions on screen and beyond. Kim Clark is doing a practice-based PhD at Royal Holloway, where she's working on a science fiction novella called The Walkers. Thanks to Techne for their support, and thank you for listening. If you enjoyed this episode, please subscribe via your favourite podcasting app and share it with your friends. If you'd like to present your own work on the Technicast, please contact us at technecaster at gmail.com. That's technecaster at gmail.com. And if, like me, you've discovered a new rebellious streak in walking, then enjoy your walk. See you next time.